The world as we know it has fundamentally changed. What was once considered the future of work is here now. We are operating in an all-digital, work-from-anywhere world. More and more consumers are supporting brands that align with their personal values. It's the values-driven firms that will rebound sooner and grow faster in this new world. Salesforce has partnered with Singapore Community Radio to bring you this podcast. We want to explore the opportunities and the challenges of this new world. We want to talk about the ways in which we will work going forward, how businesses can be a platform for change, and how technology will continue to impact the world. We have some amazing thought leaders, executives, and community advocates joining us, and we hope it sparks some inspiration and innovation for you. To learn more about us, you can head to our blog at salesforce.com/ap/blog. It's another episode of the Future of Work Now podcast by Salesforce. Thank you so much for joining us as we speak with digital leaders uh, to share how digital realms actually help us um, from work to work anywhere uh, this year. Um, the Digital Connect has. You know, allowed us to be more aware of things uh, that go on in various parts of the world. Um, but I wonder where is the disconnect? Uh, to discuss this, I'm thrilled to have on this episode uh, Duncan Jepson, founder and managing director of Liberty Shared, uh, which is a leading global anti-trafficking NGO working on counter modern slavery and wildlife trafficking. Uh, Duncan, how are you doing? Thank you for being with me today. Thank, thanks a lot, Michael, and good afternoon to everybody. Um, you know, it's uh, it's good to uh, good to discuss these issues. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. I'm looking forward to it as well. And perhaps as a start, can you share a little bit more about Liberty Shared and you know some of the great work that you guys are doing? Sure. So Liberty Shared. Um, you know, we're, we're an organization that looks more at the sort of structural issues relating to, you know, abuse of vulnerable populations, be they people or be they uh, uh, wildlife. And by that, I mean thinking about how um, information is collected and how information can be used, whether that's used by law enforcement, used to sort of disrupt financial flows, uh, used to sort of hold... Uh, individuals and actors accountable um, and um, you know we all of that sort of gathering of data and moving it requires different types of use of technology and so we have a number of uh, platforms that we built that are sort of global platforms um, and um, and one of those uses Salesforce um, and um, you know and they, they become sort of global leaders um, in their space so that's uh, you know a bit about what we do awesome um, you know it's been pretty exciting year in terms of how things are going around um, during the pandemic uh, and, you know, a pretty tough year as well. Um, and through the pandemic, you know, we've seen, we are able to see what's happened to the biggest economies of the world. We've seen what's happened to China, to UK, to the States, uh, and where I am as well in, in Singapore. Um, and, the reason we've been able to do this is, you know, because we are so digitally connected. Everything's interconnected, right? Um, 
Is there something that we are missing though from countries which aren't as connected as we are? Yeah, I mean, if you just take you take Asia, I mean, if you go to Internet World Stats, there they say that you know fifty five percent of Asians are connected to the internet. That's obviously leaving you know forty five percent that that aren't, and often those people are going to be the most vulnerable um, you know in general, and certainly in times like we've had this year, they're going to be more vulnerable as jobs are lost. Um, you know, there was news that perhaps in Asia, you know, um, we've had sort of maybe nearly 40 million people pushed back into poverty. So um, that's that's not uh, not what we want. Obviously, we want uh, society to be lifted up um, uh, in general, and and the internet and the digital realm plays plays an important role in people finding jobs, people um, looking for opportunities. Obviously, people even migrate because they've heard of opportunities, you know, whether that's Indonesia to Malaysia or whether that's Nepal down to South. So internet is vital. Okay. And we obviously, you know, we, we wanted to cover working from anywhere with this podcast. Um, and the borders, as much as they are closed now, they are even more open than ever because you can now work from the Philippines uh, and be working for a Singapore firm or be in Singapore and working for a firm in, in the UK. Um, and, you know, the borders are pretty much open in terms of the professional law. Do you see this continuing on, um, you know, for the next year onwards or even be beyond, beyond the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I know someone who was a lawyer for 20 years in the investment industry, you know, I relied heavily through most of my career on the internet because I, you know, working across Asia, I wasn't going to go there all the time, go around the, around the country all the time. So it's it's only grown, it's only going to keep growing for, you know, the professional class, for the middle class and above. Um, but that obviously isn't everybody. So, yes, I think this is, you know, we've seen this year just how much business can be pushed and can keep going, even though everyone can't go into the office. You know, things can still keep working, but that's obviously not for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that how things are, you know, for most companies and for most organizations, things are doing pretty well. Um, mm. There are things that we probably can't see and the effects of, you know, certain things with the workforce that we can't see quite yet. Um, but I'm more concerned as well about the world that's not as connected as uh, we are uh, in Singapore, in the States, in the UK, in the big economies, as I said earlier, right? Why do you think, though, that in 2021, that we're still facing these issues of not knowing what goes on in some parts of the world? I mean, it's more it's more the opposite. I mean, we, we didn't know, if you, if you look at, think about Asia Pacific, I mean, if you go back to the 60s, you know, most people, uh, people even within Asia didn't know what was happening in other Asian countries. So, it's, it's more of a question that we do know uh, what is happening in some places now much more than we ever did before, but many places still remain, uh, you know, kind of uh, very un very sort of untransparent. So it's, it's, it's a case of just there are these sort of really bright spots of, of communication, whether it's through the internet or other things, um, but then there's many places that simply are unknown and they just, until either the market decides that it's important for them to go there or there is uh, there is some sort of uh, 
um, you know, other political purpose to go there, then then often if with a, with no real kind of motivation, society can leave these people, you know, out in the darkness, um, you know, without the internet. And maybe they have 3G phones, um, but a lot of places, a lot of people overestimate, um, you know, mobile phone access, um, you know, um, for um, for the sort of global population. It's just not as um, pre- uh, not as widely distributed as people think. How how many people do you think um, still do not have access to mobile phones, the internet? Yeah, I mean, as on, on that this website, Internet World Stats, if people want to take a look at it, you know, they you know, I don't I don't know how accurate it is, but they they're saying in Asia, for instance, it's roughly 55% of people have access to the internet and 45% don't. Now that that's you know from our work working for you know working on this kind of vulnerable populations uh, a lot of people don't um, have access to the internet and don't have a, a mobile phone that can get on the internet they might be able to use telecommunications and do messaging and then of course there's a lot of people who might have a phone and they only use something like Facebook on that phone because it comes with a sim card And so you can actually speak to a lot of a lot of people in in Southeast Asia, for instance, who think that Facebook is the internet, yeah. and they don't really know that there's this other huge sort of universe out there beyond Facebook, simply because they don't necessarily have SIM card access in the package they have to to roam uh, of the internet. They just have Facebook as part of that of that package. So you've got all these different kind of Uh, exposures and in, into you know, integrations and engagement with the internet, and and therefore you do end up with these kind of stratification of exposure. And uh, you know, you and I and others are lucky enough to see the whole thing and be cognizant of its kind of weaknesses, but a lot of other people aren't. There is an, an untapped market out there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your book. You wrote. Uh, all the flowers in Shanghai, and that was a bestseller. You've also written uh, Empress Once More, which was published in 2014. Um, a few weeks back, when we were introduced to each other, you said there's there's reason as to why you've written these books. Uh, what's the message that you try you were trying to reach out to you know the masses with what with the books that you've written, and perhaps tell us a little bit more about how is this even more relevant right now through the pandemic <laughs> in 2021 so how it's that you know even more relevant right now so <laughs> just to say one thing you know it did sell well in um in hong kong and it sold well in a couple of other places in uh, in asia and in the us um it did not sell particularly well in singapore um and um and i think there are some reasons for that but and i and i The second book, Emperor's Once More, which is actually about a serial killer, that didn't that, that sort of sold sold reasonably in across Asia in in all itself, but um, but not as well as All the Flowers. You know, both books were um, stories for me about how uh, people can become obsessed by history and want to live their futures but tie them very, very, uh, very, very uh, tightly to history and to nostalgia. And and nostalgia, in a way, is the kind of, uh, I suppose, the sort of um, uh, um, sort of warmer side of, of history that most people have. But, you know, tr- traditions, superstitions, the way that we treat people, 
they can be even our own family they can become quite pernicious quite harmful and so the both books were about bad characters that became kind of or were, or were um, affected by those around them who became too tightly obsessed with tradition and superstition and history rather than thinking about what is the future we want to live what is the kind of future that they wanted to create and and you know yeah six years ago the last book was published and uh uh the story remains for me as relevant as it did today because you know again people have um have sort of uh, returned to in these very difficult times they've thought well what is the safest place and the safest place is often you know personal history family history traditions yep. superstitions these alignments and so yeah i it remains i think as relevant as it was before but it's an uncomfortable discussion for a lot of people particularly where you have societies that are very strongly anchored around their version of their history it is a very difficult conversation, and I'm glad that you know you you took that messaging um, in in your book. Um, but you obviously spoke about you know adapting into the um, you know um, current situation a little bit more. Um, and as we go through the pandemic, even with a vaccine right now, you know likely to be available quite soon, um, do you see us being able to reach out to? you know, the various parts of the world, as we said, with no internet, with no access to information that you and I have, is is it important for us to reach out to these markets, which which are slightly untapped, slightly, you know, a bit more uh, raw, that, you know, that we need to, to reach out to them to make sure that the effects of the vaccine and effects of communication will be translated into, you know, effective for the rest of the world? It's you know it's interesting because and I and I'm not I'm not being a jerk but you know you use the word markets rather than sort of societies and yeah. I think it's it's an important difference because in terms of these markets often you know if I put go back to sort of my life in in the investment world then these markets often offer no value proposition to businesses um, really you know we can't compare them to developing markets of say Asian tigers 25 years ago, 30 years ago. These places are much more, um, much, much more uh, uh, developing and, and much greater poverty um, than, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, Korea, whatever, back in, back in the end of the 20th century. But what I, what I do think is that, um, you know, um, when we look at them as societies and we say, should we be, going there to reach out to them? Should we be helping him? You know, the answer is exactly that. We should be doing that. Um, mm-hmm. One, because it's the right thing to do, perhaps from a moral perspective. It's certainly sort of that's how I feel. But two is because, you know, if we want society to lift, if we think about issues like climate change, we think about um, issues like migration um, and how that can impact, uh, you know, countries. And as we say, say for instance, North Africa to, to Europe, then we do need to think holistically. And so therefore it is worth our reaching to them and it is worth investing in that. But it is an education process, right? Um, and you, you know, if for a market that is quite disconnected for anyone to go in there to try to put in an ideology to try to change the ways. And as you said earlier, you know, people can be in societies can be quite embedded in their history, in their, their own cultures. Um, do we have to be careful about how 
we serve different markets and different societies and how can we be tactical in doing the uh, in doing in doing so yeah we do i mean if we're talking about societies we're talking about things like edu improving education improving you know which the internet may be certainly part of including health and improving health then we do need to be careful because you know from one aspect is that you don't want to um obviously do harm in a sort of simpler sense but you want to be respectful of how they would make decisions when in their own in their own society with things like markets and business obviously it's slightly different because it's a tra it's transactional so you know you you say well we we want to help build infrastructure we're going to lend you money you don't want to put these countries into some sort of debt trap you don't want to uh you know it to be short-termist because they simply um, often don't won't survive. They're not able to service that debt. Um, and of course it can cause corruption. Uh, I know that then can cause conflict and disorder. So, you know, I think we do do have to be um, very wary about both those sides. So what roles do you think then companies and organizations can play in moving into these, these, these societies to, you know, put out, you know, an education process to, to benefit um, from the untapped market almost. Um, and, you know, just because, you know, we are the ones who have the wealth of information, the wealth of technology and the access to technology, what should, or rather, what roles do companies play in these areas? I mean, ultimately, I think for companies, they obviously, the role they play is to bring, hopefully, um, you know, economic development and, and therefore, you know, uh welfare and utility improvement and, and leading to some sort of prosperity that i think is what what companies bring that that there then is this sort of parallel narrative of sustainability and ethical business um which you know they say okay we're going to bring all these other things i'm 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 skeptical to some degree that these things can really be done in parallel um, particularly as we look into COVID, you know, we saw the apparel industry after after sort of years of supposedly um, ethical business. When when uh, the crunch came with COVID, you know, all of those apparel companies really cancelled their orders, leaving you know millions of Bangladeshis um, in 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 difficulty from not just the fact of directly from jobs, which is you know, as hundreds of thousands, possibly millions, but their families and their communities. Yeah. So, you know, those things just sort of uh, were quite clear where where there was a line that businesses were not going to cross unless they were pulled across it to help out in social circumstances. The other types of organizations, NGOs and others, and I think there has to be honesty, you know, where, what are the benefits of the money given to NGOs and what what do they bring? And I think we, we, do, we want to be careful that we don't end up in a sort of greenwashing uh, example where, for example, people talk about diversity in, but they, they're talking about diversity in higher echelons of business in senior management. When you look below and you say, well, where is the diversity in, in blue collar, semi-skilled, unskilled workers? Um, you know, most apparel, um, most apparel workers are, are women. Uh, most um, foreign laborers doing things like agriculture are men. Um, you know, thinking about these these uh, these issues, um, you know, that isn't that that isn't getting the attention that it should do. So, you know, I think COVID has been good. It's in the sense that it's caused people to actually think um, what what is happening. Obviously, the whole situation of COVID is terrible, 
but it has forced a lot of people who are, you know, quite, I think, uh, um, satisfied, um, have had to stop and go, well, the world is, is not quite as civilized as we thought it was, and it's not quite as mobile and as generous as we think, as, as we thought it was, and so people need to take stock. I mean, it's terrible that, we, that this comes from this situation, yes. but if we have to learn any lessons, then that's the sort of lesson that we should be learning. Awesome. You talk about diversity, um, and I think inclusivity is something that ties into that um, for you know, areas of the world where we aren't as connected to, do you think there's a need for us to make sure that we play a bigger role in making sure that we are a bit more inclusive in our work streams, in, you know, all the things that we do with, 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 the, with the technology that we have and the information that we have and the access to all, all the great stuff that, that we have access to. Do you think that inclusivity now is more important than ever yeah it is because it's harder to it's harder to mask uh the reluctance to be inclusive i think it there are many the internet and social media um it has um unfortunately in one sense allowed people's people's sort of attitudes to be revealed in all of their in all of their sort of brutality and all of their kind of um, um, miserableness and we can see that there are still a lot of people that don't like diversity. They don't want inclusion. I think obviously we've seen in the in this in this year we've seen Black Lives Matter really come to the front and this you know grim situation from from uh, George Floyd's death. But and, and and that we've seen a lot of the arguments around America, around this country, and in the U.S. where I am, and and of course in Western Europe, have we seen a discussion about inclusivity and diversity in Asia? Have we really had an honest discussion in Asian society of what sort of society they're building as regards diversity and inclusivity? I haven't seen that in the same kind of expressive way as we see in this country. Um, and I think that's to come. You know, what sort of societies are the millennials, the Gen Zs, you know, even the sort of younger Gen Xs, what are they building in Asia and what will we see? The treatment of, um, you know, of you know the, the patriarchal society that I remember in Asia, um, you know back when I was a child, um, is that to be continued in the same way? Uh, that the, obviously the inclusivity of women, not just in the boardroom, which is great, yeah. absolutely, yeah. but all the way down in down in the businesses and in organisations. So I think there's still a lot of big questions to be asked in Asia, and we haven't really seen a lot of answers there, certainly in the public domain. Do you think that we are on the right path, though, that you see Gen Xs, Gen Zs are, you know, moving on to the right path and making sure that diversity, inclusivity, all these important topics, you know, um, sustainability are all being embedded into a workplace, into our work cultures? Yeah, I, I am optimistic, actually. I mean, the young activists that I, I come across and work with in, in Asia, um, the, you know, when I look at some of the uh, discussions that take place, you know, in and amongst those teens and the 20s. And when we, you know, we ran the Asia Literary Review for quite a long time. Um, and certainly when, for instance, when I made, you know, the last film I made in Singapore, which was, you know, Hainan Jifan Rice Rhapsody, you know, it was not well received in Singapore, but the making of it, because it was about, you know, um, a mother with with um, two, two sons who had come out, 
and one son where you know, this sort of the narrative is about is, is he gay or not? You know, that was difficult to make. Um, and it was, you know, it was Jackie JC movies, Jackie Chan's movie that, that supported it. Um, but we did get it made and the Singapore government did support it. And that was a good indication of the change. That was whatever it was, 2003. That wouldn't have happened 10 years before in Singapore. They would not have put government money up for that kind of a narrative. So with, that's now 17 years ago. And I think things have changed hugely. So there's every reason to be optimistic. But we shouldn't underestimate just how much there is to do across society and, and, and down society, not just the sort of one strata where you know, that that's the kind of educated middle class. Where do we go from here, Duncan? <laughs> I mean, it's 2021. So where do we go from here in terms of improving our workplaces, improving our cultures at workplaces, improving our ideologies, um, and involving as many people as we can um, in terms of, you know, across markets, across economies, across cultures? What can we do as individuals, um, you know, as a first step? Is there something that you hope that we will be doing in 2021? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope, you know, I sort of drawn that old, old idiom of the frog in the well. I hope people, you know, start to realize that it is a big world out there, that, uh, you know, interconnectedness is, is where we are, and that's going to keep going, that decoupling is hard work and, and probably unlikely to occur and that um you know i personally think we all need to be more patient with each other and and, and obvious things like listen and understand be more thoughtful about the influences that we we are we you know we take on whether it's the sort of extreme end of of fake news or whether it's just looking at our daily feed and whatever it is and thinking you know what else is outside of this daily feed that i'm getting yeah. You know, what other worlds are there to look at? Um, and then think about people who are simply not in our world and um, that we not necessarily dismiss, but we just aren't aware of because our days are busy and to sit down and think what other lives are being lived. Um, you know, someone who made documentaries, I'm naturally going to look at their way as a, as, a, as a writer. But even if you're not those things, so what? You have, you know capacity as a human being to think outside of yourself and think, you know, what other lives are out there? And um, that I think is the most important thing that uh, that you can do is be be reflective of, 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 the, of the bigger world. Do you think as why, as how much we should care about others that we should also be looking at ourselves and, you know, prioritize also self-care in these difficult times and try to strike that balance. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, going back to work and workplaces, you know, often I have, you know, pe people who over the years have wanted to ask me about going into work into an NGO or going to work, do charitable work. And, you know, my first response is that, are you in a position to do this? You might want to do it, but, you know, if you are doing it because you're frustrated at work or if you're doing it because you think it'll be a, a new page, these are not good reasons to suddenly decide to go help people. It might be that you're in a job already that tends towards that, but you know you can only really help other people if you are in a sort of a, a, a sort of generally rock solid position yourself. Yep. If you're struggling uh, with physical, mental, you know, financial difficulties, 
um, and you're just looking to escape, uh, helping other people is not a good place to go because you might be one of those people that needs help. So um, I would say, you know, that to some degree is yes, you should be aware of what is happening around you, but you must take care of yourself as well. Um, certainly before you sort of set off on a journey to uh, save the world is that don't do that if you need to sit down and be reflective on your own life. Um, it's not a good place to start. It's the advice that we get when we are on the airplanes, right? Put on your oxygen mask before you help others. Ah, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> Duncan, it's been such an insightful chat. Uh, thank you so much. It's a joy to have you on this episode. I wish you the very best for 2021. Uh, and until the next episode of the Future of Work Now podcast, keep well, stay safe. Bye-bye.